So let us get going. So today's daf is daf Mem Gimel. All right. So we are six lines from the top. Boy Minei Revavina Mei Rav Sheshes. A new Shaila. And let's get going. Question searching, uh, a curiosity question. Ravina asks Rav Sheshes a question searching for information. Bas handi zainis min ha'achim. If you have a a bas, a daughter of a man who's being supported by the brothers. So the question is, now why they why is she being supported by the brothers? Because the father is no longer around. So after somebody passes away, the brothers inherit the property, but they are obligated to use that money to support the girls in the family. Now the question is, Generally, when a father's alive, he's going to receive the earnings of the daughter. Over here, the father's not around. So, since the sons are using the father's estate to support their sister, do we say that they also get her maisayadayim? Or not? Maybe specifically the father gets her earnings, her salary, and they don't. So here we go. Do we say that the brothers literally like stand in the place of their father? Just like if the father would be here and he would be obligated to support his daughter and she would get, you know, and he would get her salary. And so too, they're going to receive her earnings. Perhaps maybe it's different. Because when, when the father's around, the father is actually using his own money. There's a fascinating lumdus. The father is using his own money to give to her, and that's where you get the maizdayim. Now, here's ready for this. The sons, however, are not using their own money to support her. You know what they're using? The money of the father's estate. Now, granted, they're inheriting it. But since it's coming to them through the father's estate, and this is all called the father's estate, not their own estate, they don't get her earnings, despite the fact that they're obligated to still support her and use the inheritance to support her. So fascinating Shaila that Ravina is asking Rav Sheshis. All right, so that, again, let's repeat this. Generally, a father is ob- who's obligated to support his daughter receives the money. What about when the sons inherit the money? Do we say they also get, and they're obligated to support her? Do we say they get her earnings or not? Omar Leh, so Rav Sheshis answers this Shaila and he says, Tenisua, we learned in a Mishnah, We learned that by the wife, where the, the inheritors, the sons who inherit, are obligated to uh, use the estate to support the widow. And what happens when they support her? They receive Maizayim. So the same thing should be true by the daughter. It's not specific to the widow, it replies to the daughter as well. Says the Gemara, one second, me dummy. Can you compare the halacha of a widow to the, to the halacha of a daughter? He says like this. When it comes to his almana, he doesn't want that his, you know, that his widow should be gaining because of, through the estate of whatever his sons are inheriting. Okay? What it means like this. The husband wants when... He obligates any amount to his wife. Now remember, biblically, who inherits a husband? The sons. The wife doesn't biblically inherit the husband. Really, biblically, the, the wife gets a ksuba from the husband. So maybe we want by the almana whatever financial agreement they had while they're alive, 
That's what he wants to remain in place even after he passes away. And therefore it's tit for tat. However, maybe Maybe if when it comes to his daughter, where it wasn't an original financial uh, type of undertaking, maybe he actually wants that his daughter should be able to keep her, her earnings or salary, anything that she brings in, as well as have the brother support her. Because she's a child, not a spouse. And we're entering the laws of inheritance over here. Now, even though usually the brothers inherit over the daughter, but we get what we're saying over here, right? When you go into a marriage, there's an element of the marriage that's a financial agreement. When you have a daughter, there's no element of that, of that father-daughter relationship that's financial. So maybe he wants her to have uh, both the support of the brothers and her own earnings. Says the Gemara, no, we don't like that svar. We don't like that logic. Because I'll tell you why. Lememer, do you mean to say, do you mean to say that a husband prefers that his daughter gain more financially from his estate than his wife? Rabbi says the name of Rabbi Yaisi. We treat the widow like a boss, like a daughter. So a widow to a daughter is like a daughter compared to the brothers, meaning when there's not enough when there's not enough property to support everybody. The halacha is that if let's say there's a fellow who passes away and he leaves behind $50, that's not enough to purchase lunch for his family. All right? So the halacha is, even though the sons are the one who ultimately uh, inherit, you know, inherit the money, but we say to the sons, listen, you're still responsible to make sure that your sisters have food and the boys are the breadwinners and you have to go around, uh, go around door to door asking people for food on, uh, you know, on behalf of the rest of your family. So what Rabab is saying over here is, is that if let's say there's somebody who passes away and you, there's only enough money for a wife and a daughter, so then it'll have that halacha. Just like when you have a sons and daughters, the brothers need to go around collecting, knocking on people's doors, and the sons and the daughters are the ones who eat. Maybe we'll say the same thing. When there's no sons, a guy passes away, he leaves behind a widow and a daughter. Maybe we'll say that the daughter should be the one going around asking for money to support the wife. Says the Gemara, no, when it comes to Zilaisa, which is something which is a lowering of somebody's stature, somebody's standards, so then a, a person prefers that his wife keep the stature over his daughter. But as far as gaining money and keeping his estate and keeping the money in the family, so his daughter's his blood, his wife's not his blood. He prefers that the money stick within the blood of the family and not, and not with the wife. Okay, says the Gemara, one second. Okay, Rav Sheshes now is of the opinion that, bottom line, we had a shaila. The question was, do the brothers receive the Maisi Adayim, the earnings of the daughter, if they support her? And Rav Sheshes said yes. So Masif Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef asked a challenging question. Now he says, Maisi Adayim, there's a price of that, there's a Mishnah which says that anything, any gains that a young girl has, even if she doesn't have it yet. Now these gains can be considered, ready, which could be a salary, her work, something that she gets paid through her work. 
and her metzia, anything that she finds as well. She finds something on the street, and the halacha, she's allowed to keep it. So what happens? Even if she didn't collect it yet, if the father passed away, it's going to go to the brothers. Time of Debechayav. The reason why he goes to the brothers, we're assuming right now, is because she found it while her father was alive. But let's say the father already passed away, so maybe la'atzma. Maybe we'll say that uh, she could keep it. She found it after her father died, she could keep it. My love, Bini Zainas, aren't we dealing over here, where, what, do you, what do you mean uh, they can keep this? It's referring to Nizainas, it's referring to the, the brothers giving her food. No, maybe she, we're dealing with where she could keep it, because the brothers are not giving her food. But maybe if they did give her food, she, they would be allowed to keep it, says Rav Sheshus. Rav if you have no question on him. Says the Gemara, one second. We're dealing with a case where the brothers aren't supporting her. And that's where we say, oh, she could keep it. One second. What's the Kiddush? What's your whole idea? Nobody's giving her anything and she can keep it. Even if a master says to his Abakanani, you work for me and I'm not going to give you, I'm, I'm not giving you any food. All right? Now, there's a whole, Rashi explains here, there's a whole machlaikas as to whether a master has a right to say it. Hani mili kanani. Do like imach. It doesn't use the word imach. imach, but by who needs to live with you. If he's coming to work for you, you've got to make sure he's taken care of. You've got to make sure he's got food in his belly. How much more so uh, uh, is a person not, a, if you can't say this to your Eva Kanani, how much more so are you not allowed to say this to your daughter? Amar Rabba Bar Ula, Rabba Ula says, Now we're entering something, uh, a fascinating uh, concept that's going to take us um, through, you know, through Amaral of Talmud Beis. And Ula says, uh, Rabba, the son of Ula says, we're dealing with a case where there's extra money beyond her own food. See, here's what's happening. She's, it costs $15 a day to give her food. $5 for each meal, we'll call it. She's earning $100 a day. So what's with the extra $85? So over there, that's where we say, um, uh, that's where we say that she could hold on to it. All right? That can't be a good answer. Because you think somebody as sharp as Rabbi Yosef didn't realize if it would be dealing with Hadafa, he wouldn't have known this halacha. And he's asking this as a question. It, it, it must be we're missing something over here. It must be we're missing. A, it, it, it can't be such a simple answer. Rather, Rabbi says, Let me explain to you the depths of what was happening in this. Uh, question and the back and forth. Rabbi Yisif had an issue with the Mishnah. What was the Mishnah? The Tani, we said, It says that they get the, the, all of her earnings and her findings, even though, she didn't get, even though she didn't collect it yet. Now, if she had earnings that aren't collected, does that make sense? Yeah, she's owed money, she worked for it, but she didn't collect it yet. Can you collect something, can, can you find something and not collect it yet? And it's still yours? No. I don't understand. If she finds something, who's she collecting it from? That, 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 you can't understand that Mishnah at face value. You're not going to say something that she found that she didn't yet collect. What does that mean? So, so nothing happened. She never collected it. She never found it. What's happening? Says the Gemara. 
Rather, this has to be the case. Her Maisia Dayim are like her Mitzias, are like things that she finds. Just like by things that she finds in her father's lifetime, if she finds $100 in the street, it's going to go to the father. And after her father passes away, she's going to be allowed to keep it. Now, this is based on the assumption that even if there's brothers here, they cannot tap into anything that she finds. And this is really what, uh, what Rabbi Yosef was asking, and this would be a good proof, actually, to our original question, which was, what's the halacha? When she's being supported by the brothers, what happens to her earnings? You see, from over here, she's allowed to actually hold on to it, unlike Rav Sheshas. Okay? So Rav Yosef, and that, Rav Sheshas had his approach, Rav Yosef asked a challenging question, and learns out from our Mishnah, she's allowed to hold on to her own earnings, even when she's being supported by, um, by the brothers. Okay. In Marnam, we learned it by simile, Amr Vida Marav, Vida says, in the name of Rav, if you have a daughter who's being supported by the brothers, go to herself. She's allowed to keep it. Okay. Clearly, like Rabbi Yosef. Amr of Kahana, Rav Kahana says, okay, now you told me the Allah. However, my time, I don't understand something. The brothers are taking the estate to feed her. They're supporting her. And now she can hold on to it? What's the, what's the logic for this psak? It says in the Pasuk, oh, very important Pasuk, very important Pasuk, and that is that there's a mitzvah to, if somebody has an Evakanani and they pass away, that Evakanani continues on in the estate as a member of the estate and gets transmitted down to the children. Gets inherited. But your daughters are not inherited. Which means a person does not hand over to his son the rights that the Torah gives him for his daughter. So meaning if the Torah says that the father receives the earnings of the daughter and then the father passes away, the rights to those earnings do not continue with the sons. Okay. So, Azoizot, Rav Kahana. This is what Rav Kahana says. Ask the Gemara. One second. Maskif la Rabba. Rabba asks a challenging question. Maybe that the Pasuk is only referring to Kanas, fines that the daughter is supposed to receive. If let's say there's, there's Ma'anes, Ma'anes or Mefata, Bechim Tana, Rav Kahana. And was also learned. Maybe it's strictly under those uh, circumstances. How do you know that that pasuk, uh, that diuk from the pasuk of Myrish, uh, uh, How do you know it's referring to the earnings? Maybe it's only referring to the knossos, to the fines. So the Gemara says, okay, hold on. If you're going to say that, you should know when there is damage. That's her own personal damage. And the Torah is still saying that, you know, under that circumstance, even such a thing does not go to the father. Even the father is not going to get that. Omar of Yaisi Barchanina, Sir Yaisi Barchanina says, we now turn to the top of Mem Gimel Amad Beis, Shepatza Bifaneha. We're dealing with a case where somebody, where somebody, um, We'll call it, it kind of disfigured her or, or colored her face um, and, and caused a very noticeable damage. 
So when there's a noticeable damage, that type of thing would go to the father, because since the father has a right to marry off his daughter or sell her as an amavria, and now that there's noticeable damage, that's so going to cause a loss of value. That's where a father actually would get it, and that could be the type of of a payment that we're that we're dealing with, uh, of perhaps the, the the father being the one who, in his lifetime, would have been the one to inherit. To wrap this up, says the Gemara, you should know Amr of Zera, Amr of Masna, Marav. Rav Zera says in the name of Rav Masna, in the name of Rav Amrila, and some say it was Rav Zera, Amr of Masna. Amr of Zera, Amar Rav Masna, Amar Rav. Some said Rav Zera quoted Rav Masna in the name of Rav. And, and some say it was Rav, uh, Rav Zera. Um, Rebbe Zera. Some say it was Rav Zera. Some say it was Rebbe Zera, according to Rav Masna in the name of Rav. If you have a daughter who the brothers have to support, she's supported by the brothers and she holds on to her own findings, her own earnings, her own salary. As it says, only the Ebekanani, some of Nechem gets, those rights get handed down to the children. However, but the rights that a father has to his daughter's earnings do not get passed on to the sons. This was spoken very well. You know who Shokud is, who said this very well. That is Shmuel. Ha, ra, uh, ha, ha, um, Shmuel. That's referring to Shmuel. Shmuel is Shokud. Shokud means very careful. He's very careful with his words. Says the Gemara, is not true. Don't tell me Shmuel said it. Ha, Rav, Omar. Rav was the one who quoted this halacha. Ema, af Shokud, Omar. You're right. Um, not Rav. Rav. I, Rav said it. Says the Gemara, you're right. Rav did say it. However, Shmuel also agreed with it. Amar, Mar, Amar, Mar. We should tell the people from Narda, is like Rav Sheshes. Now Rav Sheshes argued on Rav Yosef. Rav Sheshes was the one who says that the Maisia Dayim do go to the brothers, unlike what we just said. Rav Ashi Amar, the halacha is like Rav, like this Pasuk, that no, she keeps her Maisia Dayim, only the rights um, of an Evakanani are passed down, of a father's ownership of an Evakanani are passed down to the sons, not the rights of his daughter. And this is how we paskin Allah Lamaisa. The Rambam does paskin like this as well. After a father passes away, the brothers are obligated to support their sister, and her earnings and findings remain with her as well. The sons do not inherit that. Okay, beautiful. End of that Gemara. We now get to. The Mishnah on Mem Gimel Amad Beis. Here we go. All right, we're going to have a. Uh, we're now going to transport back into the halacha of uh, of a focus now on Ksuba. Focus on Ksuba. All right. Now says the Mishnah, Hamares Esbitei. If somebody married off his daughter, and they had Aris, so. His daughter, he marries off his daughter to a fellow. She's nine, ten years old. They have Arison, the Gersha. And then before the Nesuin, there's a divorce. Now remember, you know, we're familiar with Mion, where she could refuse a marriage. That is only by when the mother and brother marry her off in a rabbinic way. If the father marries her off, 
So we're going to be dealing with a biblical situation and we're going to be dealing with a get, a full-fledged divorce. So the father marries her off and before she moves in with her husband, which this guy's her husband, he put a ring on her finger, but they get divorced. So here's what happens next. Ersa, the father gives her over again for Arison. She does not move in with the second husband. And now listen to what happens. Venus Armala, her second husband dies. She doesn't move in. Says the Mishnah, Ksubasa Shalai. She, Ksubasa Shalai. The father gets the Ksuba of the second husband who passed away. Because he had rights to marry her off still, but he get, only gives her over to Arison. He held on to that. Now, this is an interesting Allah you see from this Mishnah. You see from here that a woman does not get her ksuba after moving in with her husband. A woman earns the rights to her ksuba even after the acquisition, as soon as the ring is put on her finger. Now, he see, uh, let's say the second husband not only did Arison, they also did Nesuin, Vigersha, and then they get a divorce. He, I'm, I'm sorry, here's what happened. The father first gave her over to Nisuin and then she gets divorced. And then he gave her over to Nisuin again, then she's widowed. Then Ksuba Sashallah. The Ksuba belongs to her. Okay, now this is interesting because when she became a Nisua the first time, he lost his rights to her. So when she got married the second time, that has nothing to do really with the father. That wasn't the father's rights to give her over. So she's totally on her own now. Rabbi Yudayim Rabbi Yudah says, shalav, The ksuba of the first marriage goes to the father. Amrulai, one second. Once there's Nesuin, the father had no right at all to, uh, to her ksuba. Now, in order to say this, you must hold that ksuba first kicks in, not by Arisen, but by Nesuin. So according to, to uh, the Amrulai, what they said to Rabbi Yehuda is, no, 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 no. If Ksuba first kicks in after Nesuin and the father lost his rights after Arison, he's not going to even receive the Ksuba in such a case. Okay, says the Gemara. <laughs> says the Gemara, a diok from the Mishnah. Time the reason why. Now, the reason why DC of the Gersh, DC of his Armala. The reason why we give it over to the father is that he first he married her off to Nisuin, in that case, right? Where there was Nisuin by the first marriage. The husband divorced her. And then what did the father do? He gave her over again in a second marriage. And then the second husband dies. All right? So there was first a, first a divorce and then a death. Divorce from the first one, death from the second one. But listen to this. What happens if the guy died twice? Let's say this katana had became an almana twice. You should know she can never remarry. And uh, as a secondary limud, uh, as something else to learn over here, the Tana is passing like Rabbi Damar betrays Zimni have two times is a chazaka. This is a fascinating sugya that we had uh, in in uh, Yivamas and applies in a few cases in Shas as well. And that is there's an interesting halacha that if a woman's uh, husband dies, if woman's uh, has husbands that die, so 
after she establishes a, a status of her husband's dying, she's called a katlanis, a, a killer woman, and nobody's allowed to marry her. Now there's a shayla, if after two husbands die, the third, she's not allowed to marry a third time, because that established, or is it after three times her husband's dying, she's called a katlanis, and she cannot remarry a fourth time. From over here, the Gemara wants to make a diuk, an inference, that from the fact that our Mishnah gave the case of first a divorce and then a death, as opposed to giving us the case of two deaths, it must be that our, t- our Tana is of the opinion of Rabbi, who says that even after two uh, deaths of two husbands as a young girl, if two of husbands would have died, she wouldn't have been permitted to remarry a third person. That's why our Mishnah gives a case. If she's going to be married three times, we want to give a case of a divorce and then a death. Okay. Rav Yudah says, the first ksuba goes to the father, my time, and Rav Yudah, what's the reason for Rav Yehudah? Rav Yudah, agree. And they say, Okay, so now we're getting a fascinating sugya. And that is, that is, you know when the ksuba obligation kicks in, that kicks in at the time of Erison. Erison. Masiv Rava, Rav asks a challenging question. says, shall The first ksuba is going to go to the father. agrees. When somebody has erisin for his daughter, when she's a katano bagra, and then she becomes an adult. You hear this? So she had erisin when she's ten. Okay, now she's fifteen. Viachra and after the age of 15, she moves in with her husband, five years later. Everybody, um, Rebuta would agree, She'en lo via Who's going to get the ksuba? Again, the father married her off when she's 10, biblically. Five years later, she's moving in with the husband. Or we'll call it any time within 12 months. Father marries her off when she's 11 and a half, and now she married 12 and a half, okay? Who gets the ksuba? We're going to assume it's her. Am I? Why? Here as well, we should say, Since the Ksuba kicked him when she's 10 years old, time of Erison, he should be able to hold on to it. I get the Kasha, and we know it's not true. Rather, what we're saying is like this You know why the father gets it? Because it's written when it's in his domain. Now, Rashi here explains. As follows. Rashi says there's a difference between when a ksuba becomes obligated and when a ksuba is actually written. All right? Rashi explains that what they would, what they would usually do is even if, you know, they wouldn't write a ksuba until they actually moved in together. So if she's in Arusa, let's say for a year, for longer, under which we learned, you know, in Yavamas as well, under specific circumstances, it's possible to have Arisen for longer. It's the whole Shiloh, whether she's going to be supported by the husband, uh, by the husband that's a supporter or not. But over here, says uh, the Gemara here is saying is that Buda would agree that since the Ksuba is written usually right before Nesuin, so let's say she's 15, so the Ksuba is going to start at the time that it's written. So it seems at the time of Arison, you become obligated to actually write the ksuba, but the ksuba obligation is actually starting when you do write it. It starts by the date on the ksuba itself. 
And when, what age was she at when the, on the date of the ksuba? She was already a bogar. She was already a, a, a complete adult with all rights to it. And that's why she gets it. Says the Gemara, one second, umigva me'emas gavya. I don't understand something, says the Gemara. Let's clarify. So you're telling me she had erisin and she, this first step of marriage. And then they wait a while for an asuin. And then right before the asuin is when the ksuba comes in. Okay? So Gemara now asks a question which is going to force us to clarify and why we're forced to clarify. Listen to this. Let's explain. Aksuba is a lien on the husband's property. You hear this? It places a lien on his property. Somebody marries a woman and the halacha is he's got to give her aksuba. Well, his property has to back up the aksuba. There's a lien from the date that the ksuba is written. If he owes money to somebody else and that person can't collect, or let's say he passes away and there's a few people who have debt on the property, the, whichever um, lien was placed first is going to have first dibs on the property. So the ksuba gives a right, a lien on the husband's property. So the Gemara says, umigva me'imaz gavya. At first there's Arison, but they wait to write the Ksuba, and the Ksuba happens right before Nesuin, and then they do Nesuin. So at what date, at what stage in time does she gain the rights to collect from his property? Amar Ravuna, Ravuna says, Mana Masayim in, um, Ravuna says, Mana Masayim min ha'erison, v'tesefes min ha'nesuin. So the way it works is like this. The initial amount of 100 or 200, the initial amount is going to start from the time that they have the erisin. Okay, that's the part that the Chachamim say that you're obligated to initially give. However, any additional amount, which is more common in the Sephardic communities, all right, um, a little less common in the Ashkenazic communities, but anything they want to add to that amount, that starts from the time of Nisuin. The assumption is if somebody's going to have Tosefes, Add extra, they're only going to want to add it on from the time that they actually moved in together. But Ravasi Amar Ravasi argues, Ravasi argues on Ravuna, and he says, Both the initial amount and the Tesefes and the extra starts from the Nesuun. He says, Does Ravuna really hold that the initial 100 or 200 goes from the time of Erisin, but we learn, if a woman shows up to Bezdin, she says she's got two ksubas. She's got two ksubas to collect from her husband. And this is going to lead us into a fascinating topic. All right? The fascinating topic is, what is she doing with two ksubas? Why does she have two ksubas? Why did he write two ksubas to her, right? So she's showing up with two ksubas. One ksuba says 200, and one says 100. All right. So she has one which says on it, Reish Nisan. The husband wrote Ruxu for 200. And then she has one that says, Rosh Chodesh Iyar, a month later, 300. The Yom HaRavun, Ravuna says in that circumstance, If she wants 200, we'll say you can have 200 from the first Ksuba. If she wants 300, then She can only collect from the time that the second Ksuba was actually, was, uh, was actually written. Okay. Now, the assumption here is, is that she's not trying to collect 500. She's not trying to collect a ksub, uh, 200 
plus 300, she's trying to collect either the 200 or the 300. All right? So he says, whatever it says in the date of that ksuba, you could, uh, you could uh, collect from that. But that's it. You're limited to that. Now says the Gemara, it's point and it's question. Vemisa, if according to Rav Huna, if according to Rav Huna, it's taka true, that a woman is allowed to take her first 100 or 200 from the time of Erison. So why don't we say it like this? Tigbi Masaya Mizman Rishain, Umeya Mizman Shani. Put the initial 200 that every woman's entitled to, every Basula is entitled to, from the earlier date, and then just add on 100 from the time of Nisuin, when whatever was written in the second Ksuba. Says the Gemara, one second. According to what you're saying, maybe no. Before the response, let me explain. What is this second tube of three hundred doing here? Is it here to take the place of the first two hundred? Is it here to add on three hundred to the first two hundred? Is it here to add one hundred? We don't know what to do with this second tube. We don't know how to view it. Says the Gemara. One second. If you're saying that both of them have value and both of them are valid, why aren't we giving her a total of 500? Give her 200 from the first and 300 from the second suva. No. And, and, and why aren't you saying to do that? Says the Gemara. Why are you telling me not to take 500 total? Kivan Delay Kosavla. Since he didn't write... I commanded, and I'm adding on to you 300. In other words, he could have written, which he didn't, in the second suba, he didn't have to write 300. He could have written, I'm commanding to give 300 more onto the first 200. But that's not what it says in the second suba. It just said 300. But if he would have said, I'm adding on, so then he would, so then we'll, we'll explain the two ksubas to mean, what he means like this, if you ever want to collect from the first man, then you could take 200. From the first time dated uh, uh, ksuba, I'll let you get 200. And if you want to collect from the, from the second date, so then you'll be able to get 300. Now, why would she want to get from the first date because it gives her an earlier lien. So she has more to gain. This is like an investment over here. She'll take less now, 200 in her ksuba, but it'll allow the lien to function earlier as well and give her first dibs over any other liens on the property. Hachanami, top of daf mem dalid, the reason why she's not taking from the first ksuba, since he didn't write, I'm adding 100 onto 200, what he means is, the, let's completely push aside the first ksuba and rely on the second ksuba. Okay, so that takes care and that wraps it up for Daf, uh, for Daf uh, Mem Gimel.